Let's get something straight about Ty Cobb. A lot of people look at Cobb's 366 career batting average and dismiss it as an artifact from a different era. Batting averages were higher back then, right? Well, it's easy to assume that dead ball records are irrelevant, but it's not that simple. The game was different, but get this. Cobb played from 1905 to 1928. During those 24 years, the league average was 279. During the past 24 years, since 1986, the league average has been 280. I'm Alex Reisner, and you're listening to Game of Chance, a show about baseball, statistics, history, culture, and the role of luck in baseball. It's easy to get confused because baseball changed so fast 100 years ago, and numbers were less consistent from one year to the next, but all of Cobb's batting titles came during the dead ball era. 1919 was his last one. Those high batting averages you might be thinking of didn't happen until 1920. Between 1905 and 1919, while Cobb won 11 batting titles, the league average was actually just 266, 14 points lower than it is today. And Cobb was hitting 377, 383, 420, 409, 390, 368, 369. He was extremely consistent year after year between the ages of 20 and 32, hitting for an average around three standard deviations above the mean, which is something Tony Gwynn did just five times in his career. I'm not saying that Cobb would hit 420 if he played today. It's a different game and nobody knows what Cobb would have done. I'm saying that if you're looking at career batting averages and you say, well, Cobb is the all-time leader, but he played in a different era, so we can't compare him to Wade Boggs. Well, the league batting average was about the same, so batting averages were higher then is not a reason the numbers are incomparable. Cobb's dominance in his era was extraordinary, and I'd suggest that his 366 is probably more comparable to today's numbers than most people initially think. Now, I'm not saying it's a totally legitimate comparison either, because the distribution of batting averages was different. The standard deviation was higher, which basically means there was more of a gap between the best and worst hitters. But it's important to understand that there's a huge difference between Ty Cobb's lifetime 366 and, say, Lefty O'Doul's 349 during the 20s and 30s, when the league average was almost 300. Anyway, last week I talked about unbreakable records, and if you think Cobb's lifetime batting average is unbreakable, well, what if a player came from Japan, like Ichiro, in his late 20s, played for a few years, and then went back to Japan before he started to decline? I can see that kind of player challenging Cobb's record. You need 3,000 plate appearances to qualify as a career leader in a rate stat, and you can get that in five years. In fact, Tony Gwynn, from 1993 to 1998, in over 3,000 plate appearances, hit 361, so he was just five points short. And Wade Boggs hit 356 in over 4,000 plate appearances from 1983 to 88. Anyway, I just want to point out that I think Cobb's record is a little more relevant and breakable than people usually think. I'm not saying anyone's going to break it anytime soon, but I wouldn't place any big bets on it standing for another 50 years. Last week, I think I may have confused some people, uh, maybe even myself, about what kinds of records are breakable. At the time, I thought that records that were set by players having fluky seasons were, in general, more likely to be broken than less fluky records set over longer periods of time. But now, I'm not sure. I had based this theory on the idea that if one player gets lucky and has an unusually great year, the same thing could just as easily happen to another player. He has to be a little more lucky than the last guy, or maybe just a better player, but eventually it seems like it should happen. And I think this is still true for records like Bonds' 73 home runs. 
It may be a while, but Ned Williamson's 27 home runs lasted for 35 years, Ruth's 60 lasted for 34 years, and Maris's 61 lasted 37 years. So it might be 2035 before Bonds' record is broken, but I do believe it'll be broken. But then I thought of Hack Wilson's 191 RBIs. Now that was a fluky season, but the record stood since 1930. And since Jimmy Fox in 1938, the only player to even break 160 is Manny Ramirez with 165 in 1999. The year before Ramirez did that, Juan Gonzalez had 101 at the All-Star break, and everyone thought he was going to break Wilson's record, but he ended up with just 157. The top 20 RBI seasons, with the exception of Manny's, are from the 30s or earlier, and I actually don't know why this is. Why are all the huge single-season RBI totals from 70 years ago or more? If you have any ideas, give me a call or leave a comment on the website. I'm interested. So I'm not sure if my theory on the correlation between flukiness and breakability stands, but I want to talk about another single-season record that's about as unbreakable as they come. This record is not a fluke, in that it was due much more to the player's skill than to luck, although it was an outlying season even for the record holder. It's also one of the most shocking records set in the past few years. Let me name some of the single-season runners-up and see if you can guess what it is. George Brett with 31, Vlad Guerrero, 32, Ted Williams with 33, Ryan Howard had 37, Albert Pujols had 44, and Willie McCovey had 45. So McCovey is fourth all-time on this list with 45, and the leader owns the top three spots with 61, 68, and then, ridiculously, 120. In a season I'd probably name as one of the five greatest seasons ever by a batter, Barry Bonds set the record for intentional walks with 120. This wasn't the year he hit 73 home runs. This was 2004, the year his on-base percentage was over 600. The year teams were so afraid of him that he walked every third time he came to the plate, and he still managed to hit 45 home runs and slug over 800, while only striking out 41 times. The numbers are just comical, and I think the most telling ones are the walk totals. 120 intentionals, 232 overall. Both records by huge margins. Those records are far harder to beat than his 73 home runs, and probably even harder than his 762 career home runs. When the opposition gives you first base one in three times, it's not luck. It might be bad strategy by the opposing team, but it's not luck. Remember that Bonds still managed to bat 362 that year, and exactly one in every three of his hits was a home run. And I can't imagine anyone being walked that often without putting up similar numbers. Back in 1996, when Bonds was younger and faster, he became the second man ever to hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in a season. And I'd like to look at the possibility of someone hitting 50 home runs and stealing 50 bases in a season. Let's start by looking at the evolution of the 30-30 club. The most glaring fact is that membership grows exponentially. The first member was Ken Williams in 1922. Then no one else did it until Willie Mays in 56 and 57. That's more than a 40-year gap. The next player was Hank Aaron, who did it six years later in 1963. Then Barry's father, Bobby Bonds, did it six years after that. In the 70s, Tommy Harper did it once, and Bobby Bonds did it four more times. In the 80s, seven guys did it. In the 90s, 20 guys did it. And in the past 10 years, 17 more have done it. 
The 4040 Club is still pretty new. Canseco just barely made it in 1988 with 42 home runs and 40 stolen bases. Bonds made it in 1996 with the same numbers. Alex Rodriguez in 1998 has been the closest so far to a 50-50 season with 42 home runs and 46 stolen bases. And Alfonso Soriano was almost as close with 46 home runs and 41 stolen bases. Now, my opinion is that eventually someone will do it. But it's going to be a long time before they do. And I want to point out that part of the reason it's so hard is that every time you hit a home run, you have at least one last opportunity to steal a base. For example, in Soriano's 40-40 year, he reached first base with second base empty 87 times. One of those times he went to second on a wild pitch. So if we ignore that, he had 86 opportunities to steal second base. He stole it 27 times, got caught nine, and was picked off three times. So if we assume that he was trying to steal the times he was picked off, he attempted a steal of second base 45% of the time it was open. That's a very high rate. If Soriano had to try to steal second base that often, just to steal 41, he'd have to try it even more to steal 50. And if he had to hit four more home runs, he would have had four fewer opportunities to be on first, and so his steal attempt percentage would have to be even that much higher. Realistically speaking, he'd have to get on base a lot more often to bring it down. So it's likely the first 50-50 club member will have a pretty high batting average. Soriano was actually the first 40-40 guy to hit less than 300. So anyway, I think that's why the 50-50 club is even harder to join than most people think. So now let's talk about pitching records and the fact that career records often come in pairs. For example, Cy Young holds the record for most wins with 511, but he also has the record for most losses with 316. Now you might think that having the record for most losses is a bad thing, but it does mean you were good enough that they let you lose that many games. You must have been doing something else right. And it's the same thing with Nolan Ryan. He's the career leader in strikeouts by a tremendous margin, and he's the career leader in walks by an even bigger margin. Now people say that Young's career losses record is even harder to break than his career wins record. But I don't know what they're talking about. Nolan Ryan himself came within 24 losses of Young's record, and Phil Necro wasn't that far behind either. But Nolan Ryan's walk record probably is even harder to break than his strikeout record. And these are more interesting to talk about than the win-loss records because they're more modern. Randy Johnson, the strikeout record runner-up, needed 17% more strikeouts to reach Nolan Ryan. He pitched for 22 years, so he'd need four more years to catch Ryan. That's a lot, but Steve Carlton, the runner-up to the walk record, would need 52% more walks. At the rate he was going, Steve Carlton would have had to pitch until he was 56 years old to walk as many batters as Nolan Ryan. Now, strikeouts are a modern record in that the top eight on the career leaderboard debuted after 1960. So the records haven't stood that long, and with batters striking out more and more over the past 80 years, what I'm about to say may seem like a bad prediction. And maybe it's because I'm a Nolan Ryan fan, but I would call both of Ryan's records fairly unbreakable. Randy Johnson struck out a lot of batters, but he came up almost 850 short. Bert Blylevin has the fifth most strikeouts ever, and he's over 2,000 short. In the last episode, I talked about our tendency to think records are unbreakable, because the player who would break them seems impossibly good. We just can't imagine them. The existing records are so extraordinary, but 
extraordinary players always come along. The difference here is that Nolan Ryan didn't do what most people say pitchers should do. He never cut his velocity and became a control pitcher. He never pitched a contact. He never stopped walking batters or throwing wild pitches. He went for the strikeout every time. He had a 300 strikeout season when he was 25 and another when he was 42, 17 years apart. So again, maybe this is a dumb thing to say, especially when Nolan Ryan himself now owns a major league pitching staff, but I don't think he'll find a pitcher who can physically do what he did or a manager who would let him. It took six foot 10 inch Randy Johnson to even come within a thousand strikeouts and the workload required goes against all medical advice. So anyway, I'm probably not done talking about unbreakable records, but we're out of time again. So I'm gonna leave you with the idea that Nolan Ryan is one of baseball's greatest freaks. I'm Alex Reisner, and you've been listening to Game of Chance. If you have any unbreakable records you want to talk about, give me a call at 323230233 or leave a comment on the website, gameofchance.alexreisner.com.